sonrisa que ha pasado por su casa, que ha venido porque quiere ser feliz. Good morning. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It is Monday, September 18th. We are rapidly approaching the first day of fall, which happens this week. Uh, welcome to all the listeners. Thank you for stopping by to listen to our broadcast. I would like to thank uh, the people at radiouccs.edu the station manager, Kyle Boyle, the faculty and staff of the University of Colorado and Colorado Springs for all their support and for their great programs they put on the air, the online radio station at the foot of Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs. I um, want to thank Marge Mystery, who no longer is with us, for starting the radio program, being one of the uh, pioneers of the radio show in the University of Colorado and Colorado Springs. And um, we have today a special guest, who's a long way away. She happens to be in Athens, Greece. Athens, Greece, that's a long way from Fishers, Indiana. And uh, by the virtue of great technology, we're able to come to you live via Skype and the GarageBand uh, that I used on my uh, iMac uh, computer to be able to bring the show to you. Uh, uh, good morning, Christine, how are you? Uh, good afternoon, Tom. I'm oh. very well. How about yourself? We're good. <laughs> it's 11.30 in Fishers, Indiana. What time is it in Athens, Greece? It's 6.30 p.m. in the wow. afternoon. Seven-hour difference. Wow, that's a that's a big, big uh, difference in time. Um, it's quite amazing how we're able to do this with technology. And uh, I can see uh, uh, Christine perfectly well and vice versa, I think. And uh, the sound's coming in beautifully. Uh, Christine, can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your life, where you're from, and where you are now, and uh, um, sure. all the things in between? <laughs> sure, Tom. Well, I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. And I happen to have a Greek mom. And my father was Mexican-American. He was a Chicano. So I grew up in the middle of three cultures, really, with the with American as well. And uh, with my mother, we ha we would come to Greece every year. Since she was also uh, a teacher, she was a university professor, so she had her summers free. So I was able to maintain uh, some ties with family back in Greece. And in 2007, I decided to come and check out what life was really like here. And I came and I stayed. Uh, it's a beautiful country to live in. I really enjoy it, and uh, I'm, I'm teaching Spanish at a uh, at an American international school here, and it's called uh, ACS Athens. It's uh, American community schools. They have campuses in other parts of uh, the world as well, and uh, it's uh, an American school with international students following an American philosophy of education. Uh, so it's. It's just like a perfect fit for me. Now, how old are the students that you're teaching? And are they like uh, high school age students? Well, I, I have the middle school students and the high school students. I'm a shared teacher, we call that, since I have both. So my students are between 11 and 17 years old, and I'm teaching Spanish 1, 2, and 4, and 5. So, uh, yeah. 
So I, I, I've got to make a quick comment. That probably explains how flexible you were in Cuba. You were, you were quite flexible in some of our uh, uh, difficult moments. Uh, we, we, uh, for the listeners, I met uh, Christine this summer in Havana, Cuba. She participated in our Spanish immersion program that we have through the University of Colorado. In, uh, uh, and we were in Havana, Cuba. And it was hot there. I mean, it was really, really hot. I would say average temperature, 98 degrees, average humidity, 99%. And it's like the heat wave that they're having in, in Athens, Greece in September, for going to say. And, uh, but, uh, I, and I, I always uh, commented that uh, Christine was very flexible, and that's why, uh, because you were able to teach all these grade levels. Um, is there a tough challenge between the middle school kids and then coming over to the high school? It's, it's kind of like, is it like night and day or is it like night in the afternoon? Well, I would think it's more maybe night and afternoon. The thing is, what I love about this, I love being a shared teacher and I've always been a shared teacher and I'm in my 11th year now at ACS and I love being able to see the students from, from when they're babies, I call them, when they're sixth graders all the way up and I follow, I see them as they're growing and it's really, when they make that transition between 8th grade and ninth grade, uh, you really see a huge difference and sometimes, you know, when we have graduation for our seniors and I see some of these students and I've known them since they were babies, since they were 11, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see and uh, I think it, I really get a lot of joy out of that. I think it's, it's a... Uh, I, I would wish and hope that every teacher is able to have that kind of experience because you really get to know them and grow with them. And uh, it's something, um, it's, it's really beautiful. Now, so both of your, uh, your parents, both were immigrants, right? Uh, they came to the United yes. States, right? And yes, so my father came from Mexican parents and my mother came from Greece, yes. So, uh, I know that now, I'm, I'm sure you're probably aware of what's happening in the United States with the immigrant situation, and where President Trump uh, apparently is going to support DACA, uh, at least it appears that way at the moment. Um, and I know uh, a lot of people here are working for the cause of those uh, young kids who, who have been here their whole lives and uh, that they'll be able to stay here. Do people in Greece talk about that much, about the immigration situation in the U.S.? Probably well, not, I suppose. But The thing is, okay, the, they do talk about it within the expat or the American communities. I think right now uh, the, what everyone is talking about, though, are the immigrants uh, that we are getting in Greece because we are still getting by the hundreds uh, and thousands sometimes uh, from from the islands that are coming in through Turkey. We still are getting a lot of refugees from many different countries, not only Syria, but also Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan uh, and certain African countries as well. So this is really what most people are talking about in Greece, uh, just because it's really affecting Greece as an economy, as a state, uh, as resources are being spread very thinly among those who need them. So it's, uh, it is something that is very much uh, on everybody's mind uh, every day here. It's something you see in the walking around as well in the, in the city. Um, 
it's it's very much part of our everyday lives here. Now, um, can we talk about Greece a little bit? So, if you were to tell the listeners three reasons why they should visit Greece, what would you say? Well, first thing, Tom, I would say if you're going to visit Greece, uh, definitely uh, come anywhere between uh, Easter and and fall. Uh, those are the best times. And really, spring and fall, I think, are the best as they're not as crowded uh, in the islands and so forth. But definitely, if you're going to come to Greece uh, and you like history, I hope uh, if, if anyone is going to come to Greece that they do enjoy learning a little bit about history because there's tons to see here as far as the ruins. There's ancient Greek and Roman ruins and Venetian ruins. Uh, lots and lots of uh, history here. And it, there's something good for anyone. So if you like beaches, of course, it's perfect. We have hundreds of islands uh, inhabited and non-inhabited. You could go sailing or, or just to come and, and go beach hopping. Uh, all, every island has something very unique about it and uh, very special. So they all have a different story to tell. And the locals all have different stories to tell. The history is between the different kinds of islands. And uh, we have famous you know, writers uh, who really like to um, to express that in their literature. So it's something, if anyone is interested to come, I would definitely check those things out, literature-wise or historically-wise. Also, if you're into the mountains, this is also something Greece is not so well known for, uh, but uh, Greece has beautiful mountains. It's a very mountainous country, and even on the islands, and volcanoes as well. Our famous island of Sandorini also has uh, an inactive volcano, that tourists like to go and visit and with the hot springs that we have many hot springs around but also the the mountains on the mainland in northern part of greece especially we have a beautiful area uh in epiros that's the name of the uh the province up north um beautiful gorges some of the we have a deeper the deepest gorge it's actually deeper than the grand canyon in the united states uh and uh, beautiful beautiful scenery and lush greenery so there's really something for everybody who would like, who would like to come. And, of course, the food. I didn't even mention the food. The food is something uh, amazing and different and, and very unique as well. The Mediterranean diet is, has, is very well known for its healthiness and its tastiness. Uh, even one of our islands, Ikaria, which is one of the Daritinese islands close to Turkey, it has been hailed as uh, having the longest living uh, people there. Their longevity is the longest because of, well, many factors on the island. Yeah. Now, when when you talk about longevity, there, why is it? Because uh, I think Greece has a life expectancy longer than the United States, right? Quite two, yes. Three years, maybe, or so. Three, four. Why is yes. that? Do you think it's a diet? Well, I think diet definitely has a lot to do with things. Uh, we, uh, there's a, a lot of the food, a lot of the meat and the proteins that are eaten are, are, are consumed mostly from goats, not so much from cows. Uh, so this is, I think, definitely one thing. Uh, our yogurt, I mean, Greek yogurt is world famous, and most of it is because it does come from uh, uh, the good, real kind is coming from a goat or a sheep. Uh, and you see them all the time around the mountains. Um, also, the we have a very also the, a bit about the the people in Greece. Um, they, you know, I've um, I think I mentioned to you, Tom, when we were in Cuba. Um, 
Greece is a very much of a coffee culture, so people definitely make sure that they take the time out of their day uh, to relax with a coffee uh, and or to catch up with friends over a coffee. And this mentality of being able to sit back and relax, it helps you de-stress and not have to worry too much about your everyday things that might be, uh, you know, responsibilities and things like that. So that ability to be able to calm yourself a bit and just de-stress and not worry so much also, I think, increases our, uh, our stress, our, decreases our stress levels so that we're able to live longer and healthier lives. So probably less stress overall than in the United States, at least with, especially with the daily living, like you said, take time out to have a cafe, sit down with your friends, chat a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, so if you were working in Greece on a normal job in Greece, let's say uh, eight hour job or whatever, so when would you start working later in the day? Would it be like similar to Spain, you know, where you start at 9.30 or something, 9, 9.30? Uh, it could be. So anywhere it could be. For example, my husband works at a company, an international company here, and he is able to come in around 9, maybe 9.15 or so, uh, and is able to leave around 5, 5.30 maybe some days, depending on the workload, of course. But Generally speaking, they, uh, it's a little bit more, perhaps a little bit more lax in that sense. Uh, banks, on the other hand, banks are from, uh, they open at 7, and they're open until 2.30. Mm-hmm. So for the working, uh, working people who need to visit a bank, let's say, although everything is done electronically now, so it's much easier, uh, we would need to make sure we fit in something like that around working hours. Uh, so there's, you know, but you even if you walk into a bank, you'll always see somebody on their desk. They'll have a coffee, <laughs> for sure. Now, is um, the the technology used in Greece is it pretty much similar to what goes on in the United States? That is is the use of the iPhone as extensive maybe as it is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't say it's as much. No, definitely the gadgets. Let's say the gadgets I always mm-hmm. see with more of the uh, the tech friendly colleagues I see at school. Um, pretty much everyone has a smartphone, although not everyone has an iPhone. And iPhones are quite expensive, mm-hmm. of course, in the U.S. as well. Although here, keep in mind they're paying in euros, and and so it's uh, everything is much more expensive here in general. So. For someone to buy something so expensive, it would be better to buy it abroad mm-hmm. um, in Germany or, or, or in the United States if they're able to, uh, or even in the UK sometimes. So everyone has access and everyone has Wi-Fi and everyone is able to communicate. Pretty much everyone communicates through uh, Viber or WhatsApp mm-hmm. uh, using their cell phones, etc. But um, it's not as much. You're not going to see people in the metro uh, reading from their Kindle, for example, where you would see that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but very similar, right? In, in, a, in a different way, but similar a lot. Um, what, uh, what what are like two or three customs that you could relate to us that from the country of Greece that uh, a visitor might have trouble trying to adapt to it, maybe a custom? Are there any customs? Well, we have lots of customs, uh, different, there's all kinds of different customs, especially with food or with, uh, um, day-to-day lives, uh, just all different kinds of things when you, uh, when you're going to the, uh, let's say even, 
For example, if you go to the supermarket, even you know, uh, you might get surprised that they don't bag your groceries for you. For example, this is something that is just not really done, uh, and someone who's not used to that might be. Uh, this is always something that is uh, mentioned when I and I have uh, I've worked with other students coming into Greece and they say, oh, what is that? Or also, I'm not understanding the public transportation or the hours. Our hours of business are different uh, and very similar. European, they follow the European standards for their hours. So, for example, Mondays and Wednesdays, stores close early. They they close around two or three o'clock, and they don't open again after the middle of the day or the siesta time. Uh, whereas on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, they do open again, and they main they stay open until about eight o'clock or maybe nine o'clock, depending. Supermarkets close at eight thirty. We don't have twenty-four uh, hour conveniences like they do in the U.S. So this is also something that takes some getting used to. When you're really used to anything being so convenient, being able to buy anything you need to at three a.m. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is, You're not going to find that here. Is there more dependence or less dependence on the car to get around? Uh, yeah. It depends on where you are. If you're in the Athens center, you really don't need a car because we do have a really great metro system that's brand new. From 2004, it was built for our Olympics that we hosted here. Uh, other than that, people do use their cars if they need to travel across other distances where there is not any public transportation. But we do have... Lots of buses that run, and also a tram going around the city that also goes to the different suburbs in the south. So there's no need to have a car. I myself didn't have a car until about three years ago. Uh, a friend of mine who left Greece, uh, I was able to uh, take over her car, and I I had lessons, informal lessons from friends to teach me how to drive the stick shift because I didn't know how to do that then. And uh, everyone over here drives stick shifts or manual. So uh, that is also something new for me to adapt to. <laughs> Those are, they're fun to drive though, you know, the, the They are, shift. and I have to say whenever I come yes. back, I come back to the States every Christmas to visit my mother. They're still there. And it's the first day driving that automatic car again. It's uh It's like, wait a minute! I want to do. I want to do. I want to control yeah, the car. Yeah, it, you don't. Re- you, you don't really participate in the driving experience as much. I don't think. No, uh, not with an automatic, for sure not. Now, what about uh, your? Uh, where did you study at? Where when you did your study at? Well, I I received my bachelor's degree from Chatham College in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I did that in international relations with a minor in both French and Spanish. And then I went on to, I started teaching French right away when I, uh, I went back to Baltimore. And when I started teaching, I went ahead and got my master's degree at the University, at the College of Notre Dame of Maryland in, in Baltimore. And I got my uh, teaching degree, uh, my professionalization with uh, certification of teaching foreign languages with an emphasis in leadership and education. So I received my master's degree from there, and after that, I took a few courses towards a PhD in anthropology. And currently, I am uh, starting a a degree, another advanced degree, hopefully that will lead to a PhD uh, in applied linguistics at the Hellenic American University here. 
Christine, uh, why did you study applied linguistics? Well, Tom, uh, actually, I think it's more like why did, how did applied linguistics find me? Um, the thing is, in Greece, I really want to make sure that I do, it's important for me that if I'm going to do another degree, an advanced degree, I want it to be in English, well, my native uh, tongue, and uh, I also would like to follow the American system of a PhD program, which means you take classes with a professor and you actually see them face to face. Uh, and then uh, you take a few classes, and then after that you go on to do a dissertation. The European style is just research. There are no classes before that. So I wanted to make sure I was able to do uh, an American-style PhD or advanced degree. And this meant that, uh, so this really limited my options if I'm going to do them in English. And when I looked around at what's available, applying linguistics is uh, the one that's closest to my interests. And over the last few years, I've really come to understand that applied linguistics is really, uh, there's so much that can be done with this. There's a lot of research today. There's a lot of uh, educators uh, and th that are using modes, different kinds of ways of communicating, either with students or within the global community that they're working with, uh, to really be able to to see different different ways of being able to use, maintain uh, language languages across the world. And something that I've been very interested in, as I'm a language teacher, is the Spanish language especially, but also I'm very interested in how languages change through language contact and language evolution, and the reversal, if possible, of language um, disintegration. And this is something that I've been looking at a lot with English. Uh, as our languages has really changed a lot in, in the last several hundred years that people have been speaking it. Uh, also, something I'm very interested in is uh, what our, at our school, at ACS, all teachers are required to do an action research project every year. And something that, a question that we have that we would like to investigate and use our students as guinea pigs. So, Something that I have been uh, really interested in is this whole aspect of curiosity. And I am naturally a very curious person. Uh, and it's really hard to see sometimes to uh, meet people or students that may not share that same enthusiasm or share that same curiosity. So it's my personal challenge to see if I can draw that interest out of them. And if so, how can I do that? And a lot has to do with how we approach our students, what language are we using, uh, what techniques, what tricks. Uh, each teacher really has a lot of power in the classroom. And if they're able to tap into that curiosity, that interest, that intrinsic motivation uh, from a student, they're able to really teach them a whole lot more than just the curriculum. So this is something that I'm really interested in is exploring this language, uh, this language of curiosity, uh, to see what are those techniques, how can we better, um, better create an environment for our students where they feel safe and comfortable, that they can ask questions and not be criticized or ridiculed, uh, and they can be welcomed. Something very important to me when I was growing up, my mother, who is an educator as well, she 
uh, taught at a community college in Maryland, she always told me that there is no such thing as a stupid question. The only stupid question is the one that was never asked. And, uh, and I've, I've, always, I've grown up believing that, you know, so you have to keep asking if you're wondering, why is this that way? How is this this way? Well, that, that is reason for investigation. And that is how scientists have come up with all of these, you know, technologies and, and how our world has gotten to where it is today. It's from questioning. Uh, over the summer, I was lucky enough to go to Scandinavia, and I went to Sweden and to Norway. And when I was in Sweden, I visited the Nobel Museum, where so many, uh, they have all this information about all the Nobel laureates, and how did they get to, why did they deserve those the Nobel Prize that they won? And so much was, it all stemmed from a question. Everything stemmed from a question that uh, they wanted to investigate. They wanted to see why does this tick like that? What, how can this be different? If I move this up, I, for chemists and scientists especially, uh, in mathematics, all of these in physics, so much of these things are, are all interrelated. And all of this is fueled by a question. And we as educators, we really need to be able to uh, support and foster an environment for our students to continue that questioning. Questioning in, in students, in children, reaches its peak at four years old. Four years old is when, you know, these little kids are going around asking why everything is the way it is. They're four. But when they get into school, they stop slowly questioning. And this is something that I, I really want to uh, to really explore a lot further. And I, I, I feel very... Um, you know, this is something I feel very strongly about. It's not just because of my action research I'm doing. It's something that I really would hope that more educators would be able to get on board with and, well, and, and to share and, this, you know, this and, idea of how can we have our students ask more questions. Now, in my classroom, because I teach Spanish, something that I'm interested in is having them understand why Spanish is important in the world, where it can fit, uh, global, uh, global relations in general, and history of the languages. Why do they speak the Spanish that they speak in Argentina or in Mexico? Uh, why are there certain words that we get in Spanish, for example, like chocolate? Well, that comes from the Aztec. So, but why? You know, when they, when the students learn this, if they learn this, uh, to understand this important, these important aspects of how history uh, and our, the explorers of our world, globalization, has really influenced the languages that are spoken yeah. today and yeah. culture yes. as well. I mean, and, and, and that's the big thing I think you're really touching on here, too. Maybe the biggest biggest thing of all in your curiosities is the culture and uh, yeah. the way the people live and why they do things like they do. And, you know, the comparisons and, and, and uh, the contrasts and between the cultures. So that culture is uh, really, really important in learning, uh, not just itself, but it, it goes hand in hand with learning language. Uh, I really love the idea of the curiosities. I think it's a brilliant, uh, wonderful idea. And I do hope that you explore that and do a book about it, right? And uh, yes, because it's a, it's a great, my great plan. topic and uh, just beautiful. Uh, the uh, 
curiosity part of it. Uh, when you think about it, though, that's, it, you're right. That's what the great thinkers said. That's how they did what they did. They were curious. Uh, and in languages as well, you know, the people would be curious enough, the students would be curious enough to want to learn more and more and more, right? And, uh, and I think that's why the idea of, of thinking about curiosity and how we have to keep it going uh, that it does disappear sometimes. And education sometimes doesn't help promote curiosity enough, right? That we get right. involved with this daily teaching. And I think we mentioned this in Cuba a little bit about this, this rut that we all get in. You know, easily we can fit into that teachers day after day, 190 days that they teach in a year, have to be really careful not to get in these ruts you know, where they have to try to keep everything fresh and and new to create this uh, curiosity among the students. And uh, yeah. uh, that, that's really, really important. Now, uh, for any teachers, uh, future teachers that are listening, uh, this is a really, really important issue. And Christine has just told you about it, and, and, and I've seen it over and over again happen in education, where if we can't keep the curiosity going, we can't... Uh, really keep the learning going and uh, they go hand in hand again so uh, this is a challenge for everybody out there the teachers that this idea of curiosity and promoting all these uh, this why why asking why and keeping people interested in continuing learning another language I, I think and we may have mentioned this in, again too I hope, hope we did in, in Cuba I think we did but one of the other things that this fits again hand in hand with is the language enrollments in the United States. I don't know how it is in Greece, but in the United States, we have a big drop off after level one Spanish or level one German or French, uh, whatever, Chinese. Level two, it drops off further. So that when we reach level three and four, we have maybe uh, 10%, 20% of what we started with. Uh, of total number of students, uh, maybe 20, 25%. Uh, if, if that would probably be fairly good. Now, what, what, what is it? Um, what is it that, that causes this uh, uh, drop off? In other words, why, why do, do the people drop language? And we have to say it goes back to curiosity again. That had we kept this curiosity going, right, of learning language and culture, they might still be in the program. And that's why what you're doing is so important. And it really is uh, the, the curiosity factor because it affects a lot of things. I, I hear you're right, Tom. I definitely think that there needs to be work done on this. Um, I, I'm not sure what it's like in the U.S. as far as every state I know has different requirements also for graduation. And I know that this also plays a huge role in enrollment in higher levels. And one of the questions I have is why are there in, in Maryland, uh, it's still the same. Uh, I think, I believe it's only two years of a, of a high school, uh, of high school language that students have to take to graduate. Two years is nothing. And in this society that we live in, in this globalized economy that we're living in, where cultures, all different kinds of cultures, you know, people can maybe living abroad or working with immigrants from abroad, 
in the United States or wherever they may be working, there's all this intercultural communication uh, and people need to be aware and understand the languages that they're, of, of the people that they are working with. And two years of a foreign language in high school is just nowhere near enough to even tap that kind of understanding of cultural and communication values that we have when we communicate effectively in another language. And to- and if- totally correct. And, I, and we've almost gotten sometimes in our country to where we accept this. We, we, or we have people say, well, they took two years, the students took two years of language study. Well, it isn't near enough, as you said, and uh, it needs to be much, much uh, high, much more strict, I think. Uh, then we would have people, more people who are bilingual. Uh, but it, it goes back to the curiosity factor again. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's very difficult to figure out what goes on sometimes. Um, I always say in class, to talk to the kids about uh, learning to speak and to be able to express yourself and say things in the language and be understood and be able to survive. Now, the, the other, and it's very important, it's the most important thing they do in class, to listen, to speak, etc. But the grammar is important, but not as important as expressing yourself. And, and, right. and as you brought up, another uh, beautiful point that you brought up earlier on was this comfort environment. This environment yeah. where students feel security. comfortable. Yes, security yeah. is hugely important. And another thing that really needs to be studied more. And... Uh, and I'm sure that has a great deal to do with students dropping language study, dropping early and getting out of language study, the comfort zone. And uh, th- those are wonderful th- topics you brought up. So anyway, this year when we were in Cuba, I, I, I noticed how creative you were uh, when you responded to things and uh, that you definitely were a, a very creative teacher. Now, what is it that makes teachers creative? Why? Why do you suppose one teacher is a lot more creative than another teacher? Why is that? Well, I really think creativity, you know, okay, some people might, like artists, for example, they may just have a natural talent, let's say, but I also think that uh, collaboration among teachers really helps with creating new, really cool different ways of bringing things together. And once you learn the tricks of how to make one activity really cool and different and the students respond to it, it's easier then to, uh, to, to be able to adapt that for another activity or a different level. And then, and then the ball just starts rolling. So it's experience for one, but it's also having really great mentors and having great, uh, a great department to collaborate with. My yes. first my first year of teaching, I because I was part-time my very first year, I had a mentor, and she was amazing. She showed me so many different ways of, you know, what is our objective is to make it stimulating for the students so that when they walk away, they have fun learning. And how do we do this? You know, we need to manipulate the curriculum in such a way that they don't even realize they're learning, but they are. And to do that by using tricks and different activities and manipulatives, uh, games and all different kinds of things to get them up and moving and around. Yes. You know, and, and also, really important is to have student input and feedback. This is extremely important. You know, maybe 
one activity worked for one student, maybe didn't work for another. But I am very, uh, I, I really like to give feedback from my students. I always have at the end of an assessment, I have some questions for myself. I want to see what worked for them for this unit, what didn't work for them, what would they like to see different. And we visit those questions together and we see, okay, 60% of the class like this, you know, maybe we could change this next time I do this with another group, etc. So really getting input and collaboration from colleagues, from the students. Remember now when students are able to choose what they are learning or how they're learning, they feel empowered, they feel more confident and more excited to learn. And this is just so important for them to also have a voice in how their education is delivered yeah. to them. That, that uh, optional learning is a, is a wonderful thing where they, kids have options and they can pick and choose what they'd like to do, uh, which really brings, comes back to what we were talking about again. It's a good way to keep curiosity going, right? To say you have, you have options and you can make choices and, uh, and then the students feel like they're owners of learning. They, they're, they're owners of what they're learning. Um, so what about technology now? Do, how, do, how, do, how much technology do you use in Greece, let's say, in cli the classroom? Well, okay, our, our school uh, has, uh, has come up with, they've coined a new term that uh, they've come up with, it's called I-square-flex, which basically means it's, it's independent and internet, but flexible learning. So being able to meet face-to-face -face with the students, uh, a lot of, let's say, flipped classroom kind of uh, activities, where the students are responsible and, and able to do uh, follow different activities and watch videos or instructional kinds of things online. Activities that could be graded or not, but feedback, all different kinds of things that they do online. And then they come back to class, and having done that preparation, they're then able to move to the next level in class and actually be able to participate at a higher level. So we have this I Square Flex philosophy at school, uh, and uh, we use we use it quite a bit. So everything that they do, every all of we have an online platform that we call it's Moodle. I think they have it in the United States as well. And so everything, all their homework and all their assignments and videos and things are all posted on Moodle. So they check that every day. They have to. Uh, and but also we use uh, we have at our school we have the interactive whiteboards. Uh, we have of course laptops and everything for our students and uh, and. Pretty much we have in our high school, from our 8th graders on, the students have a BYOD policy, so they have to bring their own device to school. And with the devices, we play a lot of games in class, uh, using different uh, online games and uh, competitive games that we do for vocabulary especially, and review and so forth. So really, uh, the students are... Uh, are very, by the time they're in high school, they're very proficient in how they are able to use their online technologies. And something that I am very um, careful of and I'm, uh, I really stress is how they research, how they investigate, how are they getting the information when they do projects for cultural Latin American types of things, like now we're covering Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, so learning about different cultures or artists or uh, writers, uh, literature, things like that, it's really important to know what kind of sources they're going to online because there's so much now available, uh, but also to be able to see where who, where those sources from. 
So they are learning these skills and they, they have technology classes as well where they are learning more of this and computer gaming and uh, programming and so forth. So our school is really uh, getting on board and, and a model actually for other schools in Europe uh, as they, we received recently from the Middle States Association a, an award for our excellence in sustaining, a sustaining excellence award uh, for, for Middle States Association. So we are, uh, we're very, I, I would say that at school, all the students are proficient using technologies. And, uh, and so, of course, the teachers have to be a little, a one step ahead. <laughs> and so, which is hard this, to do this sometimes. This is sometimes a challenge, and sometimes <laughs> the students are teaching yes. us how to do things it's, differently, it, which it is gets, great. We're yes. all learning. It gets to be hard to do sometimes, but as you said, you have to do it. Um, yeah. Now, so what advice would you give for any young world language learners, to the, uh, teachers starting out? Some teachers listening to the show, they want to teach world languages. What would you, uh, advice would you give them? I would say uh, the first thing, I would say the most important thing is to really uh, learn and be open to sharing with colleagues and collaboration because uh, we help each other. Uh, we steal, let's say, you know, ideas all the time to better our own material. So this is something so important. Uh, and we have our new principal this year was saying something how, you know, education is not a, a private enterprise. It's public. We're public and we need to make sure that we're able to share uh, and receive collaboration and being able, being able to tap into, you know, each other's minds to really... Uh, promote and create the best, you know, ideas for our classroom. And there's no end. There's never an end to this. It's always more creating and adapting from previously made resources. So there's just, there's no end to this kind of so, creativity. Or it, 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 yes. And, and the collaboration ends up to being teamwork, right? Where yeah, you work as a team. Sure. And um, same in Very the classroom. We, we talked about that, I think, a lot this summer. But about teamwork and how you have to share ideas and and the students as well, where where they learn to to work together as a team too. Um, mm -hmm. So real real quick, what is your favorite um, country that you've ever visited? Your, your favorite country? Oh. Well, I I would have a, besides Greece, I guess I, I just love Greece. But aside besides Greece, I would say Argentina. Argentina. Okay. Um, Argentina, I love the accent that they use in Argentinian Spanish, the Castellano. Uh, and oh, also, I, I dance tango myself, so when I went to Argentina, I, I went with a specific purpose to better my tango. And I did, and I would, but I definitely would love to go back uh, and see more of the country because mm -hmm. the, the cuisine in Argentina is amazing. Um, with the uh, the lomo and the carne asado, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and their wines are amazing. Yes, they are. Uh, so, so yeah, and the environment as well, just Argentina for sure. Um, so um, we're going to close the show here, and I enjoyed all the thoughts that you gave to this uh, beautiful, beautifully said, and uh, I'm sure the listeners appreciate your thoughts and. Uh, and how you were sharing your ideas here. Beautifully done. And um, we are so happy that you were able to be on the show and with your 
that we actually did the show for all the way from Athens, Greece. That may be the farthest we've gone with our show. We've done Spain, and we've done, I think we did France, and we did... Um, um, Brazil, right? We did Brazil, and uh, now we've done Athens. So, uh, yes, and, uh, uh, you know, just we were very happy we were able to do that. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we will be, you, we'll be in contact. And uh, thank you again, and um, we'll um, talk here momentarily when, once I close the show out, and then uh, and we'll be uh, in touch uh, later uh, on. Thank you so much for being on the show again. And Thank uh, we you so much appreciate for it very, very much. And for everyone listening, we will catch up to you soon. And we're going to close out uh, the, the show with Canta Corazon. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Uh, one more thing. Christina told me she wanted to do this. No, she didn't, but she's going to do this anyway. <laughs> uh, would you say a quick couple quick sentences in Greek? Ah, um. Σας ευχαριστώ πάρα πολύ που με ακούσατε και ελπίζω να σας δω μια μέρα στην Αθήνα. Να σας κάνω και ξενάγηση. Και τώρα μπορείτε να πείτε δύο φράσεις σε Ισπανιόλου. Σε Ισπανιόλου. Μουσικές γούστας για να ακούσουμε και ευχαριστώ βέβαιος στην Γρήσια αυτόν τον τρόπο. Και στην Φρανσέση también. Merci beaucoup pour, pour m'écouter et je voudrais, je voudrais vous voir un jour en Athènes. Thank you so much, eh? and we appreciate it. Que pases un día fabuloso, eh? Gracias. Everybody else out there, too, have a great fall day. We'll see you soon. Come back and listen, okay? And now we're going to listen to Alejandro Fernandez with Canta Corazón. Adios y hasta pronto, bien? Hasta pronto. Thank you.